VIP Access with Aniko. Welcome to VIP Access, the 2023 edition. This is episode seven. I'm very honored to be speaking to a change maker. He's an activist, but most importantly, he's an artist who creates music for the masses. The one and only Emmanuel Jao. Hi. Hi, how are you doing, sister? I'm good. How are you? I'm blessed just like you. Oh, so <laughs> awesome to finally be able to sit with you and have a conversation. I just want to paint a picture to the people listening. Growing up, I listened to your music, obviously so some of the strides you made as a musician, as an activist, and being in the industry, media industry for a long time, it was always a dream for me to one day meet you. And you're also somebody who's very busy, always traveling around the world. You know, you've performed in such big stages, met a lot of big celebrities, you know. You don't really think like you're ever going to meet this person, let alone work with them. And then you get one opportunity to work with them and then another opportunity to meet them. And then you realize that this person is actually a human being. Like (laughs) (laughs) they are down to earth, you know, they're humble. And I think the experience of meeting you has really changed me so much just like to know how down to earth you are despite all the big and massive things you continue to do around the world and all the kind of people you meet but like so down to earth yo what's up with that thank you thank you for humbling me with that uh remembering those steps i've taken in my life i've been the way i look at it is each and every one of us has got a purpose and when you walk in your purpose then you'll be making the right steps, the right decisions. Sometimes they may not be right as you may think, but there's an understanding I find from a purpose. It gives your life a meaning in every stage of suffering. And if you don't know your purpose, you'll exist to suffer. Whoa, if you don't know your purpose, you will exist to suffer. Yeah. And we don't want to suffer. <laughs> but how how do you how did you determine, like, this is my purpose? Because, you know, coming from... The background, your story, you know, imagine uh, from being a former child soldier to being an activist to using art and music to create change, make change, inspire millions. How did you discover your purpose and say, this is how I want to be? Because even the type of music you sing is very happy music, is very connecting the masses, is very peaceful. Well, I mean, every child knows their purpose but when you we grow older we get diverted we get influenced and we we don't go with the path as we intend to i would say is your heart or your potential and your mind knows your worth and that's why our heart can push us beyond what we couldn't possibly imagine and so as a kid i always wanted to be a part of a solution i want to be among the people who are bringing change who are impacting people positive and for that I would imagine it sometime. I would imagine myself either as a teacher and see how that like in a mm-hmm. class teaching kids. Then I say, okay, what about if I became a general in the army? Mm-hmm. How that would look like? So I would lie down, you know, on any floor and just imagine myself. And these are dreams you had as early as when you were a young child. It's really freaking me out because I used to play imagination game, but I oh. did not know that through your imagination, you can create something out of it. Mm. But how I love imagination, because I use it to manage my stress and my managing difficult situations. Okay. So 
I discovered as a kid when I imagine my future in a negative way, it's terrifying. It takes away my mood. I'm not happy and jumping around. I'm sad. And then I would imagine if I imagine my future in a good way, then I'm motivated. I want to go and play. I want to go and ask questions. I'm curious. And so that's the game I played as a kid. You know, imagine I used to remember when the food is dropping from the sky, you know, the, on the UN, and people will be running for that food. And some of the bags will fall on top of somebody, somebody get hurt. But you're more focused on how much mace I can take for myself. Then one day I saw this tin written USA. You know, some of the bags were written USA. And I asked somebody, what is USA? And they told me, it's a country somewhere. And that's the one bringing us food. And I said, I want to go to that place. Mm-hmm. You know, like the way you say it and you actually believe it and then just figure out how to go there. Then I'm in the United States. And I would encourage parents or people out there to encourage imagination. How did imagination rescue me as a kid? I would say in one of the toughest journey I've ever been, you know, like there's this place we arrive in and uh, it was so flooded. And this journey, one of the things that happened to us is we were drinking our own urine for survival. And we ran out of urine. Now some people want to to force their fellow soldiers to drink. I remember we wipe our hand on the grass in the morning and would lick it several times. That's your water. But in this situation, some people lose hope and they just end their lives. And I call this one of the lowest points because it's the lowest point where my friend was dying and I look at him and I tell him, I'm going to eat you tomorrow. In this journey, we were between two to four hundreds and only 16 people manage it in the end. And so I remember we were in this swampy ground and we walked for the day. If you fall in that water, that swampy ground, people can only see bubbles, bubbles coming out. That's it. Nobody has energy to pick anyone. So there was a bigger soldier with us. A child soldier fell in front of me. He tried to pick the kid, but they all brown. They all drown as I watch them. Here I am. I want to help, but I can't. You're in a situation where your heart is willing, but your body can't. And so I was frozen there. And I discovered when your future, your present and the past collide negatively, at one moment you lose hope. So hope was crushing me. You know, my hope was going away. And one other thing that rescued me at this moment was the, the belief that I'm going to be a part of a solution. And just picturing that, that I want to stay alive so I can tell the stories. I want to stay alive. Because what was happening is, is a societal thought. When you lose hope and you can't move and you're paralyzed, you don't want to live. There's nothing to live for. Yeah. And so the present was challenging. The past is depressing. The future is a sea it's of darkness. Yeah, it's a dim sea of darkness. And in this spot, because I was hiding the imagination, when I found something difficult, I tried to imagine something. Or go in a state of flow where you allow thoughts to pass through your head. Then you capture the thought that is exciting. Maybe like 70% of the thoughts may be terrible, but yeah. there's one that good thought that comes. I try to hold on it and try to magnify it. Yeah. So what happened is, because I like to hide an imagination, my mind asked me a question. John, you're always imagining to be a part of a solution in the future. You are now in a problem 
what can you do now? Mind the question back. What is it I can do now? What is it I can possibly do now? People are dying. I'm here. So the question came to my head is, why don't you eat the leaves of that tree? If you don't die, share it with the rest. So I went and ate the leaves of the tree. I didn't die. And I shared it. Because you don't know if it's poisonous. I don't know the tree. I don't know what it is. But there's nothing, complete nothing else to eat. What do you eat? You're in the water. And you're hungry where you came from. And the whole day, everybody's starving. The reason people are drowning is not because it's really deep or something. It's because they have no energy to get up. How old were you at this point? That thing in 1991, I think I was 11 or 12. And then my gun was with me. I had my gun in that water. And so what happened is that my head told me, why don't you capture the snails in the water? Eat. And if you don't die. It's the first time that my mind can ask me a question and try me try. And so I gathered the nails. I ate. People watched. They saw I didn't die. They joined. Then the question, why don't you shoot the vultures that are eating dead bodies? We shot the vultures. Eight. People waited for months because they had believed these vultures don't cook and they kill people. I actually th- thought I had that in the African culture that vultures are poisonous or yeah. that if you eat a vulture, you will definitely die because they eat carcasses. I know, I didn't die. You <laughs> ate vultures? I ate vultures. There's no piece that was thrown away. I think my digestive system that <laughs> must have been so strong. We roasted it. It's almost like chicken, okay. like family. Okay, so that was... But tougher meat. Okay. And so when we survived this, I came to discover that our perspective, our beliefs can blind us from opportunities. We were dying not because there was no food. We're dying because in our beliefs and our perspective that we cannot eat frogs, we cannot eat snails, we cannot eat this. There was plenty of food, you know? Even these alligator's cousins were moving around us. You know, we should have eaten them. Through imagination and allowing your mind to flow and asking the right question, led me into finding a new way. And that's the same formula. Whenever I'm anywhere, I ask myself, what is the best thing I can do now? What is it I can do now? Mm. During COVID time, most artists were locked down. And I can say I made more money during COVID time more than other times when we're so free. And the simple question was like, now you're in lockdown, what do you do? People are going crazy. You try to do podcasts. There are people who podcast themselves before you, but you're trying to do, where can I do now? How do I survive? Mm. And so it's a simple question, imagining something, believing in it, then going out, making it work. That is the most detailed answer I've ever been given for one question. Like, oh, how, sorry about that. No, 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 no. I, I loved it. I really, really loved it because you didn't answer it like in a light way, but you wanted to go way back from the moment you knew your purpose when you were younger and how you st- stuck to it. So I, I like that answer. Jal, you are from South Sudan originally, and you also have lived in Kenya, which is also part of your home. Do you remember the journey from South Sudan to Kenya and how long did you live here to feel like this was my home? I was smuggled to Kenya in this journey. I was explaining to you where I arrived in a place called what? Then I made a British aid worker called Emma McCune and she's the one who smuggled me. 
My intention when I first set off was not to come to Kenya. I wanted to go to my village, want to find out where my sisters are. Yeah, that's where I wanted to go. Mm. But, you know, the universe has its own plans. It has its own way of bringing us into the path. It has a way of taking care of its own. That's what I can say. There's nowhere on earth that I've been that I haven't found a big problem that want to swallow me or eat me alive. I haven't. In the concrete jungle, it's different than the real jungle. In the real jungle, you know, this is a hyena. You know, that tree, there is a banana. You know, this is an elephant. But in the concrete jungle, you cannot know where is the tiger's coming from. Yeah. Which one is a hippo. You don't know which one is the python. <laughs> you just move around. <laughs> you know, I don't know if I'm making sense in terms of... You are, you are. Yeah. So you were smuggled into Kenya. Where were you living when you smuggled in? I was actually just got rescued. I just survived the journey. My gun was removed from me. And the way I was brought into Kenya was like a movie because there was no papers. And so she took me into the plane. How we crawl into the plane, basically she was talking to the pilots, making them busy. The security people were all looking at those days. There were no cameras. So I crawl around the bags, got myself into the, into the plane. <laughs> I was also, when I arrived here now, Lokichoki was the same act. She come, because Emma is like a model. She talks, she make a big walk, big talk. By the time everybody's focusing and I'm out of the plane. <laughs> Same thing. We took another plane and I was brought to Wilson Airport. And what's her full name? Emma? McKeon. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. She rescued you. I even have a song called Emma, which is uh, the one I performed at Nelson Mandela yeah. 90th part. But uh, yeah. You're here. You find yourself in Kenya. You have dreams of going to America. You have dreams of going around the world. You have your music starting to do magic for you. At what point did you feel like, now I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Now I'm actually living the dreams I've had in my mind. How did you end up you know, meeting Nelson Mandela and finding yourself at these spaces? with other global leaders, with other change makers. One of the things I came to realize that's allowed me to relax now. You know, the older you get, the more you find flow of walking in your purpose, mm. the better. So I want to explain this is your thoughts, you know, what you're thinking become your frequency to which others can connect with you. And so the way I look at it is you can take stones, coins, sugar, and sand, all kind of objects, put them in a ball, and you just move the balls, and they'll organize themselves into sizes. And that's how I look at it in terms of thought qualities, the way you hold your thoughts in your mind, how the density of your heart and the density of your mind will pull you to a direction. So I found myself being pulled to sit and feel. You know, have you ever been in a situation, you're in a room with people, and there's an energy from somebody that you don't like. Many times. And then there's somebody that does mean may not look attractive, but you're attracted to the energy level. Mm. Or somebody may be able to read your thoughts and provide for you what it is that you're asking for mm. without them communicating. I remember we were like around two or 300 kids in a place called Shambag. And in this place, we were kids. We were seven years old. People were starving. And so we were lying on a building, like a long building. At night, like around five, 
we get locked into a big store. Like they said, this building, Tunafungi Wandani, they lock us, you know. Because there's an animal that eat people, eat children. So we cannot move around. They don't risk that. Mm. So in the morning or in the evenings, so this woman turned up and there's this long line. And she spoke with the guards that were with us. She told them, I only have food for one child. Food for one child. And in my heart, I said, that child you're going to feed would be me. Then I also have a conversation. I said, look, but if there's any kid here, who can tell our story best when we survive this journey? Let that kid eat that food. So I have a conversation I want to eat, but I also pass a word. If there's any kid who can survive this journey and tell our story and our suffering, I want that kid to have that food. And I just kept quiet. So the woman come and passed by me, went all the way to the line, then came back and said, I want that child. She picked me, took me to her place, fed me every day. And when she was feeding me food, she was telling me, oh, you know what, I've been praying that I pick a child that will stay alive, that will eat this food, and that will tell our story. That has been my prayer. I don't have much. And you're the child. to me, I'm just a shout out, let me just eat this food. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, somebody's bothering me, I'm hungry, and I put something <laughs> into the pocket. She's feeding me, and then I put something in the pocket because I want to go and share with the other kids. Mm. And when I remember that, now, with science has proven that we can communicate with our hearts and our mind. So she told me, when I came next to you, I felt something different. I was with all other kids. But, but that's, that's the thing, like the first time I met you, I felt a strong energy. I've never told anyone this. I only told my husband yeah. because I was so excited. Like the, you, you had one of your retreats. Yeah. You had all your guests from all over the world come to Kenya. And when I got the invite, I was like, oh my God, me, me. I'm going to meet my, my little child. So I came there just waiting. And then when you walked in, I remember you were wearing like a clock, like a black clock and nothing else, just like a nice black clock clock you know like when the people wear white kanzus and yeah, you had the yeah. black thing and you just entered the room and there was a strong energy <laughs> big energy and now i don't feel it and i don't know maybe because we already met yeah but there was a big energy when you walked in like powerful thing moving and i don't know if you've been told this by other people the weirdest thing that shocked me was i was in toronto one time and uh, I think it depends on, on, on what state you are as a person. Yeah. You may, like, have you ever met those people who have gone and fasted for days and then come and hang out around you and their energy level and maybe they start talking to you about God's their words is different. <laughs> so there's this, I was in a, this train in Toronto and the way I dress was so bad, but the joy and the peace of mind I had inside me was something, tremendous. Was something else. So when I was stepping out, this lady come to me and, and said, you want to talk to me? And she was so beautiful. Like, and I said, wow, I was on a wife hunt during that time. I said, God, <laughs> thank you for bringing my wife to me. <laughs> can you imagine? And then the next thing is said, can I talk to you? And I said, yes, I would like to, to have a conversation with you. Yes, I saw the way you look. Yes, the way you look, they not want me to to communicate with you. But when I saw your eyes and saw, saw your face and read your energy, I just trusted that I can talk to you. And I said, well, and then the lady, we went somewhere and sat down. She told me I'm a high end prostitute. 
I said, what do you mean that? To me, I'm like, you want to ask me money now in my head and start talking like high-end prostitute? What do you mean? I'm just a hustler from Africa. I can't. <laughs> but, but I listen. And she said, look, she, I get paid $1,000 to $2,000 an hour. So her clients are celebrities, you know, like big celebrities, Ooh. people of money, millionaires. So she'll be hired to go and hang out with them. And she said, I am married. I have a husband. But my husband does not know what I do. She just know me that I'm doing this daytime job here, but she doesn't know my other job. Mm. And so, and I just wanted to find someone that I can trust and tell this darkness because it's eating me. Oh. And I'm finally... She hasn't been able to share that with, with anybody. Anyone, anybody. She told me, look, today is the day I made my mind. I will not do it. And she told me she made enough money she bought a house back in, in South America, and now she's going to take her family back. And she told me a story. The reason she went there, her husband used to work in a bank and got paralyzed. And because he got paralyzed, so she had to see how she can take care of her family mm-hmm. and kids. But right now, she told me that. She told me a story. She was crying. And I told her my story. And it's like uh, we told each other a story just to build that trust. And then I told her, give me your contacts. And she told me... I can't give you my contact because now my story lives in you and your story lives in me. So we're connected. That's like, how can somebody just come in? And then it reminded me of how it is like, you know, the power of finding someone you can trust and confessing. By the time she was leaving, she said, I feel so light that I found someone that I can tell what I've been doing for a very long time that has been eating her. So she made so much money. She bought houses she started a business she's just taking a husband and they're gonna she's gonna change her life completely and um how is it that you're on a train and you come out and somebody could trust you like that so i feel like i like to keep my joy and peace of mind because it generates lux for me yeah yeah i want to segue from that to the other thing that I'm not sure if people know that you also do and you have the power to do. So you do cure trauma and how do you cure trauma and when did you start curing trauma? What's that process like? So basically the question I normally ask people is who owns your mind? Is it fear, worry, anxiety or poverty? Who owns your mind? Because the battles are fought in the mind and they are won in the heart. Well, what on my mind in the past was fear, was worry, was anxiety, was poverty. But what dominated my mind the most was trauma. And so, and, and, and what is it? To me, I would define trauma as a soul murder. I'll define it as a mental genocide. I would define it as an invasion of demons to occupy space in your mind so you have flashbacks in the day and nightmares at night. And so, some people don't even know they have trauma and they will not try to go and seek it. Some know, but then seek for help. Those who know will go for it. Mm. And what are the signs of trauma? If you find anyone who does not give, forgive easily and hold things into heart, behind that is trauma. And if you find someone with excessive anxieties beyond the norm, that's trauma. And one of the greatest signs you could find, if somebody's depressed in bed, that's trauma. Because the trauma, when you can no longer see the future, you know, I always say is high stress, trauma, and poverty 
shut down the faculties of our mind that are responsible for long-term projects. And me coming for that, how did trauma impact me? I remember when I was in school here in Kenya, a teacher would teach in a class and I would have a flashback of something happened in the past. And then now the pen will be stuck in my hand and I'd wish the teacher asked me a question. Jal, what is in your head? And nobody did. Nobody. And that's not only me. There are a lot of people probably right now in class, in school, and I can give you the science of traumatic kids in school. Their mind has no the capacity to take in information. So they're more interested in the arts. They will enjoy the drawing. They will enjoy the PE. They'll enjoy the football. They'll enjoy stories. When it comes to history in class and the teachers tell history, I'm like this. When you're teaching English, there's certain names they give, verb, nouns, and all. I, they used to, I never liked them. But when it comes to stories that they're telling, then our, my mind will be drawn. So traumatic people, their brain are pulled easily by stories. Their imagination is massive. But their conscious mind, the part that deals with reason and difficult stuff, is the one that is attacked by the formal. So they'll act like children, you know. How did it impact me? When I was in school, I remember I repeated one class three times, four times. Like, I was a super doof, you know. But the teachers would say, this guy's brain is like this. But they don't know that there's something else that occupies space in your mind. Mm. Yeah. And so overcoming it, is a, it was a whole process. So I'll describe it simply. The first step that I did was to liberate my heart. I'm liberating my heart from bitterness. And that's the first time I was able to experience heaven because I, I was able to let go a lot of things that I've been building in my heart, you know? You know, you see the memories, your home burned down, witnessed my aunt ripped in front of me as a kid. People was hurt me along the way in the process, losing your home, seeing my mom abused in front of me as a kid and slapped and I was beaten too and blacked out. So many things that were held in me. By letting them go, I was just able to experience freedom. And then the next step was how to unite my heart and mind because any kingdom that is not united shall be destroyed. And as a human being, you're a holistic person. Your heart is like the king yeah. or the queen. And your mind, your conscious mind, is like the prime minister. Your subconscious is like the government. Each and every your cells in your body is like the land. Your memory is like the land to which everything is built and your intuitions and your imagination is the creative faculty to which everything is created. Then you go to your intuition, which is your intelligence, your judiciary, the governance, the things that allow you, you to discern situation to make the right decision. So I look at it. The step I did is how uniting my heart and my mind. So when I was able to unite my heart and my mind, the next step was now facing my trauma. And after I liberated my trauma, I was able to become normal again. And I describe it in three ways to which, well, it, somebody can practice when they go home is, there are three pills a person has to swallow. Mm. But before those three pills is, I would say for you, in order for you to overcome your trauma or to rewire your brain, you have to reprogram your mind. And how you, how you do it is, you have to know your purpose. Then know your vision and change your environment. Because your purpose is for your heart, your vision is for your mind. Your, your vision is what it is you want to create. What is that gracious, that audacious idea you want to bring into this world? What is it that thing you're imagining? 
you know? So how if you see it in your head, then now your purpose is how you live your life because your purpose will give your life a meaning in every stage of suffering. And when you don't find a meaning in your suffering, you exist to suffer. That's why you find someone complaining and look every day, the same thing. Have you ever met friends that they talk about the same thing, the same person over and over? But once they find a meaning in that stage of suffering, they move on to the next step. And so what is your purpose? Anything that you do without expecting anything in return. Anything that gives you joy. So, And you measure yourself. If your joy is being drained out of you every day, you're not walking in your purpose. Yeah. So when you make a decision and you find that it's sucking away your joy and it's drying you from inside, you're not in your purpose. And so once you know your vision, you know your purpose, you change your environment. There are two types of environment. There's internal environment and external environment. External environment means who you hang out, what you hear, what you see, what you smell, everything around that you can aware of. So that means you have to cut some friends. Now, if you have people who whine all the time, you can carry their emotions. I will give you an example. Mm-hmm. Now I'm a South Sudanese by DNA, but emotionally, spiritually, I am not South Sudanese. Even my mind is not South Sudanese. I've grew up in Kenya. I've eaten Ugali, Sukumawiki. I've interacted with different schools. So I've been impacted by that environment. Yep. I've gone to United States. So if you know that you could be a Lua, like right now you're, you're a Lua Nico, but in real life, you're not a Lua. Because the content that you take, how you think, how you react. We are broader than sometimes some of the descriptions that we are given. Like, this is your tribe, this is your people, this is your language. Those top five people you hang out around with has a tremendous impact on how you live your life every day. So once you change your external environment, the internal environment is focused on only two things, habits and beliefs. And so, and as I finish my point is, science says 95% of decisions we make every day are done by subconscious and 5% are done by a conscious mind. And so if the summation of emotion we generate every day make our decisions and the summation of decisions we make every day create our future, then what kind of life are we living? So basically, if you're born poor, you're likely going to be poor for the rest of your life. Unless you know your vision, you know your purpose, and change your environment. And if you're born wealthy, you're likely going to be wealthy for the rest of your life unless you don't know your purpose, you don't know your vision, and you change your environment. And so once you know your purpose, your vision, and you change your environment, there are three pills you have to swallow. The first pill would be a mantra. So, for example, when someone is traumatized, it's like the programs, the softwares that can make them function to their full potential are shut down. Mm-hmm. So they have to reactivate them or install new software. So if they're full of love before, now hate has been put in. If they were not worth before, you know your worth, but now your worth is taken. You'll find some who don't feel enough. They don't find themselves worthy. They think they are stupid. So now, identifying what's the software you want to bring in your mind. Mm. So for me, what I realized, what my trauma did is took away my focus. Mm. And focus, if you can't focus, you can't create anything. And so I was able to program myself on focus. 
200 times a day. You repeat that word. I'm focused. Thank you, God, for making me focus, or thank you, Jesus, or whatever you feel, mm. 200 times a day. What would that do? There's a part in our mind which is called reptilian brain, which holds our building motivation. Mm. And that's what holds our belief. So you hack into it to create a belief. The second step you go for is you go and research about focus. So you bring in knowledge. So the subconscious mind learned through repetition, but the conscious mind learned through curiosity. After you repeat the mantra, go and be curious and gather the knowledge. The third step, which is incremental step of action. So you do those incremental step of action every day. It's like you have known now, you've done your mantra, that you focus, and the second step is you gather knowledge about focus, and then you practice how to be focused. You do that every day for 30 days. What will happen to our brain is your brain will release what is called neurotrophins, and those trophin, neurotrophins will create new dendrites in your brain that will absorb information for short term and long term. And then what we're actually looking for to transform our life is something called myelin. So once you create myelin in your brain, then you have transformed your life. So it doesn't mean my trauma is gone, but what has happened is I've created new pathways to which I can be able to manage my life. So I've denied the old pathways, nutrients. So the, or when you find somebody repeating, and it, the dendrites or the myelins, the myelins take 30 to 50 years to disintegrate. So it's not easy for someone to change their habits over there. Mm. That's why we have to practice. You find someone with chips and sausage every day, and the doctor tells them you're going to die in the next one year. They know they're going to die. Two days, they'll forget eating chips and sausage, and all of a sudden, their body just wants chips and sausage. So they have to create the habit and the belief. So you have to have a routine, a system in place to change yourself incrementally. Talking of chips and sausages, we are eating more healthy food in 2023. <laughs> and you have launched a new cafe in Nairobi at the Kenyatta market called Jalgua. Yeah. All of you need to come to Jalgua. And it's so beautiful. I got the honor to be there and to eat. And they're serving food in nice calabashes. Have you drunk soup with a calabash? <laughs> it's so nice. You already launched the cafe, it's open and running. How do you feel about that? And what was the inspiration behind opening Jalgua, which actually is a brand that you already had before? Well, Jalgua, in my career, I had high blood pressure. I used to eat so bad. When I was touring, so I would collapse. In Nairobi, I was admitted at Masaba Hospital for high blood pressure, Nairobi yeah. Hospital. Like, but the worst that got me straight was in New York. In fact, I think it was at a soul house, sleeping in there because they have those special rooms. Then Tani had the key because I told her I'm not feeling well. When she came, I was like this. If she didn't put cold water into my body in a towel, then that was it. I would have gotten a stroke. Jeez. I would have been paralyzed. And since then I said, what do I do? Then I remember high blood pressure and early symptoms of diabetes and also pains in your joints was associated to people in the cities, the people eat in the cities. Mm. And then I said, okay, I want to eat like in the village. Mm. And that's when I introduced sorghum into my life. Mm. So I remember looking for sorghum in Toronto. Must have been so hard. Oh, eh? seriously. And when I found sorghum, I was so happy. My body was just absorbing it. My energy level 
increase. Then I was into food. So I studied food for at least four, five years, just foodie. Mm. And I managed to cure my high blood pressure using food. And came to realize high blood pressure is calcium, potassium, magnesium def deficiency, vitamin D, K, and E. And so the foods that I was eating didn't have that. Mm. What doctors were telling me is genetic. Oh, your father has or whatever. But I said, no. So, but when I learned about this doctor's foods, doctors, and you're going to learn, there was a doctor called Joe Wallach, Dr. Sevi, and many other contents that I used to read. There was another big book about nutrition like this, you know, that tells you what food to eat. And finally, that made me into a foodie. So Jalgwa itself, I call it Jalgwa because of the food, two food, Sargab and Moringa, I put them together. And that's what formed Jalgwa. Yeah. So... And when I'm on road, I was not getting the energy. So I developed a powder form that I can put in water and mm. drink, put in a yogurt, mm. put in different things. And that's how Jal goes form. Mm. And so now knowing this knowledge and coming back to Africa and say, look, we have superfoods here, but we're ignoring this. Most disease we have can be cured by food. Mm. Yeah. Whoa. So we had somebody, I met a guy today and he's talking to everybody. He, said, I, he told me he had ulcers for 30 years getting medication Damn. and he said in three days he just destroyed his ulcers yeah because when i was telling him he was laughing to prescribe for him cooking ugalia brown make sure it's organic or fresh milk if you have ulcers and then wood in the morning made out of sorghum fermented put your moringa then come in the evening have whatever Ugalia Brown with something. Two days, he said he shut his head down. Because what's happening, he could not believe it. And so that simple things, like we have this simple knowledge, the foods we have are healing. When are, when are we ever seen a watchman or a bot sick? It's always the boss. We look at the food that they eat when it comes in my head. <laughs> Why are they not eating Sukubawiki? But you're spitting truth. I yep. will just say the truth. That yeah. is the truth. Both, both <laughs> the one and then hospitality. I said, "What did I'm going to say?" And after finally, you know, both home scientists, the, the home scientists, never get sick. No. I was talking with this soldier. He told me, "You know, when I was a soldier, we can know of Uber." He told me he bought himself this car. He saved his money and took some loan and bought himself <laughs> this. You know, the yeah, yeah, yeah. the Uber he paid yes. his soldier's life. And say now one year, ni nakitambi, nakula chips, nakula soji. I'm buying other stuff. Ni but I'm sick like my boss. <laughs> okay, so in summary, yeah, we are advocating for healthy living, healthy eating, yeah, more natural made products, yeah, and in Etoaje this ugali, we call it Kwan Bell. Kwan Bell, we call it Kwan Bell. In my mother tongue. The same? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because we're cousins. Yes. There's a new album, Shanga, is out now. Yeah. And how's your sister? Jeez, I miss Nyaruach. Nyaruach is cool. Okay, now. But she'll come back. Okay. Yeah, with the music, we can always mix it in. in yes, 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 Just say, yes. this is a man of Jal song. But I would say, come and visit Jal Gwat Kenyatta Market. We have all good stuff, sheer butter, honey. We pack our own nuts. We make our own peanut butter. We do our best to make things raw. Just come and have a and taste. And all of them are made in Kenya? Yes. Okay. And Fantastic. also we even have shoes. 
<laughs> so basically now we go to Kenyatta, we partner with different people. So now we have these ideas. You buy a shoe written in your name, then you give one shoe away to kids who can afford it. And we shifted 50 shoes right now. Some to South Sudan, and we're going to take some to Kakumu. The last person who bought, so the, the, the shoemaker said, look, they found this uh, mother who was this child that goes to school, but Anna Viato. And so now somebody bought a shoe, and their name is going to be put on it, mm. and now that shoe is going to go there. Nice. So like the, the, you saw the fundis, they're yes. so happy that like you're making shoe, but you're making an impact at the same time. I love it. I love it. Always making an impact. That's you. That's Jal for you. And that's why we're wrapping off. Like we didn't even talk about the music because there's so many stories. <laughs> next there's time. so many inspirations. <laughs> and all these stories <laughs> and inspirations do make the music or inspire the albums. So go out there and listen to the latest album by Emmanuel Jal, which is called Shanga. Um, and there are so many other dope albums out there. There's Nat with Nyaruach, dope record. I really loved it. There's a lot of remixes from the Shanga album already, uh, which are out there. You can go and distribute. And um, yeah, thank you. Thank you. I'm just so thankful to be in your presence. I'm just thankful. Baraka too. It's the same, my sister. You've been a blessing to us. I mean, three, four years now. Yeah. Every time we're doing something, you always push us out there. And I'm grateful that you came for the launch. Asante. Asante Sana. Thank you, everyone who's listening from wherever in the world. It's been such an inspiring episode. I hope you are also touched as much as I was. I'm very thankful to this legendary artist and person, Emmanuel Jal. Keep it here on VIP Access. I will be back next week with yet another powerful story. VIP Access with Aniko.